All right, well, welcome to the Springs. My name is Craig. If you're here to see the pastor, I'm so sorry. You are stuck with me. He is coming back next time. But yeah, in Peru, there is a really fantastic ministry going there. I'm excited for what they're going to learn coming back. Um, but um, I am, I'm just a member here at Springs. I've been here with uh, really since some of the earliest days. Um, and yet there's a number of faces out here that I don't recognize or I don't know well. And that's partly just simply because of the work God's been doing here. It's really exciting to see how this thing has grown. And all glory to him. Um, my wife, Ginger, is watching some of your kids, so I will know about, more about you here soon. Um, and we, uh, we actually have a daughter, Alexis. She's a student at Texas State. And we work with college students in a ministry called Crew. We, work with, we worked with college students from that, and then when I was a pastor, we had a lot of college students. So I've been around students, love students. Uh, we actually now, our, our role's transitioning where we're not only, we're also working with students, but also young professionals, super excited about that. But something um, that hasn't happened in a very long time is that I've actually been mistaken as a college student. I'm not, yeah, I'm surprised too, right? I don't, know, I don't know exactly why that is, but it happened this week. It happened. So here's how it went down. I'm, I was at Panera, and we're having a meeting because that's where we have office meetings, right? And so I'm, I'm talking with Matthew, and we've been kind of reviewing something we're doing, and we're planning this other event. And so we're locked in, and I kind of notice out of the corner of my eye this, 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 this figure shuffling over, and it's a, a rather mature. It's an elderly lady, right? And she's coming just real cute, and she goes, excuse me, excuse me, and I'm, yes, ma'am. And she's like, are you boys student at Texas State? Now, <laughs> the boy, the other boy over there was f nearly 40, and I'm, I'm 50 plus, right? So, so <laughs> first thing I'm doing, I'm like, me, right? And so, but we're right against the wall. So yeah, she's talking to me. I'm like, no, ma'am, um, but thank you. Um, and she said, well, I was a student just a few years ago, one of the first to go through their non-traditional student program. And I was like, well, that's great, you know. And I said, well, funny enough, we, we are not students, but we actually work with students. We're with the Christian ministry. And she just stopped and she goes, just raised her hand. I thought, she said, hallelujah. She's saying it inside, you know, she just raised her hand. And then she kind of pressed in closer to me. And she said, you know, the Lord doesn't speak to me often. I'm kind of on, okay, what's coming next, right? <laughs> and she leans in. But just this morning, he told me. She goes, you know the Red Sea? And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I've heard of it. And she goes, um, so you know how it, he said it's going to be just like that. It's going to be a parting, and we're all going to go through. And then it's all coming down on the Democrats. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Oh, that's funny. I'm waiting to laugh. And she's not laughing. Her, her drawn-on eyebrows are raised really high, and she's looking at me. And it's this 10 seconds of just awkward. I'm, I'm waiting for her to laugh. She's staring me down. I'm staring at her, so I'm, now I'm just having to fixate on her right eyebrow because I don't want to look her in the face. I'm like, please just go away because I don't know what to say. I need to say something profound. And finally, she just kind of said, well, you have a great day, and she walks off. And, oh, and then you're thinking, well, what I should have said, you know, what I should have said is, um, contrary to popular belief, you know, the, what defines the people of God is not someone's, like, voting card, right? Uh, believe it or not, we know 
that what makes someone right in relationship with God is their devotion, their loyalty to um, either Texas A&M or Longhorns, right? I mean, it's clear, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, no, but it, what it brought up was something I want to talk about this morning, and that's this, is everything that she said just sort of blew me away, but it really revealed, it defined in her mind what really counts in this case, and who was in and who was out, who are the people of God and who wasn't. But I mean, that question is, whenever you decide what really counts in a particular topic, that will define your perspective, that will define how you assess yourself and others and your actions and responses to them, right? So if I were to just toss out here, hey, what is the best burger place in New Braunfels? And just let y'all go at it, we would probably have a church split eventually, right? Because some of you are going to be, no, this is what makes a burger right. No, this is what makes a burger right. But it all depends on what counts to you. I mean, who should win uh, America's Got Talent or, or Cupcake Wars, you know? I mean, it could be that or, or budget items. Do we get nails done regularly or do we have NFL Network, right? I think we know where the Lord stands on that. But So this is... These are things, but it can be weightier issues too. So, you know, um, how you feel about impeachment proceedings or how you feel, um, have you been following the, the trial and the sentencing of Amber Geiger recently? Uh, if you're not familiar with that, Amber Geiger was tried and convicted for, for shooting um, Botham Jean. And how you feel about that might just depend on what counts to you. She was a woman, or she is a woman, he was a man. Uh, she was a police officer. He was an accountant and a youth pastor. She's a police officer. I said that. She's white. He's black. Um, she thought he was an intruder in her own apartment. The reality was he was actually watching TV in his own apartment. She comes in the door with the gun pulled, and she said, stop, and he took another step towards her. She shot more than once. He goes down. She calls immediately, but she doesn't offer a first aid while he's bleeding. She's convicted of murder, but she's not given the death penalty or even life. She's given 10 years. She showed what seemed to be genuine remorse and just a loathing of herself and said, I wish it was her. But how you feel about what happened has, says everything about what counts to you. And, and I bring that up not to, to just, I realize that could stir all kinds of emotions, but just to really illustrate, it's just what was in the news this week. Impeachments and um, um, juries, but I don't want to talk about that so much. I, I just want to highlight that truth that what counts to us really determines how we see things, how we assess where we are. Are we in? Are we out? Are we good? Are we bad? Are we clean? Are we unclean? And that's true in, in cupcake wars and food items and budget items. That's true in every relationship and interaction, especially perhaps when it comes to our relationship with God. And so the question I want to look at this morning is, when it comes to devotion to God, what is it that really counts? 
If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it up. The passages will be up here. Um, but I want to invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 7. And I want to get us started, and then we'll pray. I want to get a run start here. New Testament, third book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the gospel, chapter 7. And I'm going to pick up here in verse 26. Jesus is speaking, and he's talking to people because they're wondering, who was John the Baptist who, who, who pointed and said Jesus was the one they needed to be following? And, and Jesus said to this crowd, he said, what did you go out to see when you went out to the wilderness to see John the Baptist? A prophet? Yes, I'll tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written by former prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, the, the normal people, the rabble also, it says the tax collectors too, tax collectors, just so you know, were the worst of the worst. They were the traitors of the time. They sold out their own people in order to make money. They worked for their oppressors, Romans, and they would tax and get taxes for the Romans, but then they would, they would demand extra to make money off the top. But even though some of them had begun to repent and hear John's message, and they responded, so they were celebrating what Jesus just said. And so, and they had been baptized by John. So then, verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers, this other, one of these groups that was there, the religious elite, rejected the purposes of God for themselves not having been baptized by John. So Jesus said, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? He said, They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. So here's in the marketplace, and people are doing their business interactions, and there's no after-school program. Kids are running around, and they're playing music. Jesus said, You guys are kind of like them. It's like kids saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. And we sang a dirge, and you didn't weep. You didn't dance to our tunes. You didn't respond to our games. We, we played the song, and you're supposed to respond accordingly. Jesus says, because John the Baptist came eating no bread, drinking no wine, and you say, he's got a demon. This guy's crazy. But the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Because if you were to sit down and eat with someone, it was, it was a visible, tangible way of saying, I accept you. We're together. And Jesus was doing this with, with tax collectors and sinners, the worst of the worst, the ones who were clearly on the outside. There was no debating that. Verse 35, Jesus says, Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This morning, we're going to look at one of those children of the wisdom of Jesus who has something to teach us. But I want to ask if we would just pray. If you bow your head for a moment, and I, I really appreciate, and I'll just echo what what John does when he's up here, and that is that if you would just take the first 10 seconds and just pray for yourself, that God, you are not here by accident, and that whatever he has to say through you, through his word today, that you would be open to receive it.
And then if you would, take a few seconds to pray for me. That the message would be clear and it would be true to God's word, to the person and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your word is living and active and ask, God, that our hearts would be open ground, fertile soil for whatever you want to plant in us today, that it would give life, that it would bear fruit, that we would be different because of our time here, because of the work you decide to do. We are open and we invite it. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echun, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloecha. Amen. If you didn't pick up those last words, it's, I wasn't just clearing my throat, but I do need to. It's either because you don't speak Hebrew or you didn't understand it because you, you actually do speak Hebrew. And um, my apologies for that. You're like, what did this guy from West Texas just do to my beautiful language? Um, I, was, I was wanting to prepare this, and I was thinking about this. I was like, um, I want to get into the sights and sounds and the smells and, the, and, and to us to really enter and maybe transport ourselves from this room into a room that we're going to be in with Jesus some 2,000 years ago. And I thought maybe we could begin with this prayer. But as I was learning it, I was having flashbacks to uh, being a ninth grader in the panhandle of Texas in French class. Can you imagine that? Poor Mrs. Welch. She was like, no, no class. Bonjour, bonjour. And we're like, yeah, that's what we said. Bonjour, monsieur, come on, talavu, right? (laughs) French is easy. So, so. My apologies for any Hebrew speakers, but, but the idea was just this. In, in any devout home of that day, maybe the first word you would hear would be Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. And it would go on. Um, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Quoting from Deuteronomy 6. Perhaps, well, what was considered the greatest command of all the Torah, all the law. Maybe you know that passage. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength or might, right? Yes. In other words, with all your being, you are to love God. And then it would go on and it said, basically, and then you are to impart this devotion. You're to impart this devotion to your children, as they rise up in the morning, as they lay down at night, as you go along your day. And so this was prayed, and, and whenever they would pray this, it would, it would, they realized this is coming from a time in our history with our ancestors that may be one of the most significant points in their history because they had been delivered by God from the Egyptians, and yet then they were disobedient. And so for 40 years, a generation died out. And now the next generation was standing on the edge of the Jordan River, looking across the water to the land God had promised them. And they were about to enter. And the first thing, that, but, but the Lord says, you have to get this right. Love God with all your being. 
And so in a devout home, you would hear these first words every morning. It was kind of the mantra. They would pray it. But you certainly would have heard it in Simon's house. Simon was one of the, what was known as the Hasidim, the, the pious ones. And they were not just devout. They were the devout of the devout, okay? And, and you could always tell them because they dressed a certain way and they had tassels, long tassels coming off their, their clothing. And, and then they would wear these little wooden boxes with leather straps around them called phylacteries. And it would either be on the left hand because it was the idea the left hand went right to the heart. So it was, it was on your heart or on your mind. It was on their forehead, just which had to look really stylish, right? And inside that box were four little scrolls, handwritten of the four key passages of the Torah, like four pillars of the Torah. And multiple times a day, at set times, they would pray those prayers. And it didn't matter what was going on, but when they realized it's time to pray, they would stop. They could be in the middle of a business transaction. They could be literally walking down the street, and they would stop right there and just bend over as low as they could and start praying these prayers prayers. I mean, can you imagine that? Like commuting tomorrow to I-35 and someone just all of a sudden, oh, prayer time, boom, and just puts on, right, full brakes. Actually, yeah, on I-35, you can picture that, can't you? Full stop, but, but maybe not for prayer, right? So they, they're praying, and it was said, like, even if a king addressed them at that time, they weren't to respond until they finished their prayers. That's how devout they were. And that this group, they would... Um, they prided themselves on blessing others. So they're always also praying blessings over everything. And the goal was kind of to get to 100 blessings a day. That was a good day. And so they had a lot of opportunities because if you woke up, there was a blessing for that. Uh, your breakfast, your meals, there are always blessings for that. We do that too. Uh, there were even blessings for going to the restroom, which strangely makes sense um, also. But then there were blessings for like business transactions, anytime you entered into a business, entered into a home, entered into a city, you would speak a blessing. And then when you greeted people, the most basic blessing was just your greeting. And it was the word that sort of epitomized blessing, shalom. Sometimes translated in English, translated as uh, peace, but it's much richer than that. Shalom is everything as it ought to be. Shalom's a word that sort of encapsulates, like the, if you went to the first two chapters of your Bible, before sin enters the world. Shalom was the world God created as he intended it before sin wrecked it. And that's especially, it especially emphasized relationships. So in other words, for someone to speak shalom, the blessing over you is to say, may everything be right in your relationship as it ought to be with God, with yourself, with others, and with creation. This was prayed over and over. Simon was a devout man. And we find yet, though, that Simon is not quite sure what to do with this Jesus fellow, this rabbi, who's not, he's not, he's not dancing to the tunes here. He's not fitting in. And if you haven't put it together, then Simon, you would see, is one of the Pharisees, which it kind of became a political party. And their whole role, the way they saw themselves, is they were there to defend truth because the nation often drifted away. And they literally, in history, would sometimes lay down their lives for this. They, would, um, they were all about moral purity and ceremonial purity, and they took oaths for that. And that's how anybody could become a Pharisee. But then once you became one, then the more strict you got, you sort of leveled up, you know? It sounds like, like 
Dungeons and Dragons. I'm a fifth level Pharisee or something. You know, I don't know what, what that means, but there was kind of like, you're in the inner circle, then there's an inner, inner circle, and then there's an inner, inner, inner circle. And Simon was highly respected. We get that. So he must have been very devout. But he's not quite sure. Is Jesus one of those zealots that's going to call us to revolution? Is he one of those compromisers that's kind of working in with the, the Romans and all of that, like the Sadducees? Is he, is he, he, he doesn't quite fit those. He's not one of these Essenes who just wants to go off into a commune and live by himself. Where does he fit? And so we see in Luke 7, verse 36, one of the Pharisees, Simon, asked Jesus to eat with him, to come and have dinner with him. What would happen when he comes to dinner? Hospitality was so huge in this culture. When you invite someone over, so this makes it a little interactive, but someone shout out, but like, if you invite someone to your house or to have dinner, like, and they come to the door, what's in the first things you do? What's that? You welcome them, right? Yes, because that would be awkward to not, right? They're just standing at the door. You open the door. Hey, welcome, right? And so glad to see you. Okay, good. And if, if you come to the Corley home, we're huggers. I know not everybody's huggers, but you're going to get a hug. Maybe just a side hug if you're not that. And if you're not, you just, uh, you come pivot. But we do it anyways. And you walk in, and then, and then you're going to probably, what are you going to do? You're going to give them a place to sit. And then maybe what do you ask them? Hey, can I get you anything to drink, water, whatever like that? So, yeah, these are just basics. That's just basics. Well, what would be just basics in this day is someone would come in and it's filthy out there. There's no sewage system. There's not, it's dusty. So they would have someone in home, maybe a child would come and wash your feet. And they would have a little olive oil there and you could just sort of freshen up your face and your hair. And then you would come and you would sit at a place, hopefully of honor if they were having you over for dinner. So Jesus is invited and that's what we would expect. And yet something no one expected happens. In verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. They understood that. But to be labeled a sinner, was it meant that was your lifestyle? It was probably sexual sin usually. You were an adulterer. You were a player. You were, in her case, probably a prostitute. And in this small, who, who grew up in a small town, even a tiny town? Let's see. So, all right. So you peeps get it. Like, right, you know everybody's business, right? After a while, everybody knows your business and they know your business. Everybody knew her business right here. She's a sinner. Everybody knows that. Oh, yeah. But she comes to the Pharisee's house. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Wow. Let me just, let's just do that. So, so imagine this. If there's anyone, okay, so here's, here's, the way, here's the way a dinner would go down there. If you had like um, a Pharisee or, or someone who's respecting the community and then you've got a rabbi, Jesus, coming into it, there's just not a lot going on in small towns and tight-knit communities back then. And they had no internet, no Netflix, no, I mean, they just had to come up with something. So, so what did they do? This was a spectator sport. And so if there was a dinner like this, anybody could come. Not everybody got to eat. 
Like if you got to eat at the table, that means you were kind of on the inner circle or you're almost on the inner circle with Simon. So it was an honor to be at the table, but everybody else could just sort of come and you're in a small room. And so people are just lining up along the walls and you're watching them eat. You ever been like at a restaurant and the waiting line's right next to you and people are kind of watching you eat and it's, it's awkward, right? So imagine like a whole room full just watching you eat. And the way they would eat, because they want to listen in on the conversation. And the way they would eat, it's not up here at a table or in stools. Like it's literally, you're down here laying down. And they would lay and the table would be here. And I tell students, it's just like you eat today, except, you know, no flat screen TV um, and Xbox. But it's just, you're sitting there eating and you'd have a little pillow under your arm and your feet are going backwards because even if they washed them, it's still nasty. You know, one wants feet by their table. So imagine everybody's feet's outwards. There's this room and everybody else is packed around there. And then in through the doorway comes her. And everyone's like, her? What is she doing here in this house of all places? Not even in this neighborhood, but, but in Simon's house, the, un, the most unclean, coming into his house? That's a liability for him. But then then she not only comes in, but then she's making her way and she's stepping over feet. And can you just picture it? She's coming and she's got this alabaster jar of perfume. And maybe that's all she had. People know like perfume was just one of her wares of her profession before. But maybe this is all she had, but she brings it. And she's stepping over it and then she stops. And they're all, oh no, she's stopping. She's stopping right behind the rabbi. And so Jesus is laying there. And she's staying there and it's just like, oh gosh, this is awkward. I'm feeling awkward with an old lady in Panera for 10 seconds staring at me, but imagine this. And then like, she starts to cry. No, don't cry, don't cry, oh gosh. And then she's trying, and then she gets down on her knees and she lets her hair down. And you never let your hair down in public like that. Not in that day. And her tears are falling on her feet and then she uses her hair to wipe his feet. And then she opens the ointment and the, and the smell fills the room. Now you're, all conversation has stopped. Nobody's eating. Everyone's looking here. And she starts to kiss his feet and rub in this oil. And everyone's cringing. Ever been to a dinner party like that? <laughs> I don't want to know, actually, if you don't. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so... Imagine, imagine this, right? So they're there, and this, so this is a little more awkward than like a scene in the office, right, from the office. This is, this is all the taboos. Like a woman would never even touch a man in public, much less a rabbi, much less her, much less rubbing ointment and kissing his feet. But what counts? What's the response? We're going to see from Simon. So look with me in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he's just thinking, if this man were a prophet, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Everybody in this room knows who she is and what she's done. If this guy's claiming to be a prophet or something great, and he can't even pick up on the cues, if he can't tell, and then I love this, <laughs> Luke says, and Jesus answering him, the guy, I don't know if you're a prophet, but answers your thoughts, um, answering him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you since you said something to me. 
in your thoughts. And he answered, say it, teacher. I picture it kind of like, Here's the, here, here it is. It's going down, right? Okay, say it, teacher. And Jesus says, for, verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarii was just a day's wage. So 500 denarii, like a year and a half's wages. That's a lot. One owed 500 denarii and one the other 50. So nearly two months wages. That's still a decent amount. When they could not pay, neither could pay. He canceled the debt of both. Now, which one will love him more? I love this. Simon, there's this little game going on, the game beneath the game, right? Simon answered, but he's not going to act like he's really learning something. He just answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly implying, in this thing, in this little story, you understand what counts. But maybe in the judgment before, you're a little bit off. So he says, you've judged rightly, and now we get the twist. Then, turning to the woman, so picture this. Again, I just want us to be in this room. I just want you to be there for a moment and picture the tension, feel the tension, and Jesus laying there, and she's, maybe she's just still sobbing, her head on the ground by his feet, and everyone's just wishing she would go away. It's awkward. Can she just get out of here so we can get on with things? And Jesus actually turns attention towards her. And so everything he's going to say now is while he's looking at her, he wants everyone look at this woman, and he asks the question, do you see this woman? Question being, maybe you don't quite see her correctly. Let me change your filter. I entered this house and you gave me no water for my feet. The basic decency of welcoming someone. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She didn't have a towel. She didn't. She just wiped them. You, you gave me no kiss because that's how they would greet. If you're from a Latin culture and Greeks and other places, you, you kiss people on the cheek, and that was true in this time too. It was just a common way. It's like a handshake. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet, not with oil, but with expensive perfume. Jesus is turning the tables here, and he's saying the whole filter, like everybody is like, what's Simon going to do? Is Simon going to give the official okay? Is it, because Simon's word rose. He's a devout man, and Jesus turns in and goes, let me show you devotion. Let me show you common decency. I don't know what was going on through this woman's mind when she came there, but she had to know what it was going to be like when she entered that room. Every head turns towards her as she's got to make her way around. And she gets behind her Lord, and she sees that he, his feet are filthy, and he hasn't, his hair is filthy, and he hasn't even given any respect or nobility, and it breaks her heart, and she can't help it, and she begins to weep. And her tears start falling, and it's the first thing. She has no water. She has no towel. So she just comes down, and she begins to wipe his feet because, in her mind, he's worth it. And now, 
Jesus is holding up the fact. It's like he's lifting her up, and he's also shining what should be shameful instead to Simon. And then we get the great reveal. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, just in case you guys think I didn't know about her sins. Oh, yeah, I know about her sins. Her sins are many. (laughs) They are forgiven. For she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I'll just stop right there. What he's not saying, what he's not saying is because she did some loving things, that made her sins forgiven? What he's saying, that love that was pouring out is evidence of a woman who understands her forgiveness. See, apparently she was one of those who maybe heard John the Baptist's message. Maybe she heard Jesus' teaching. And probably she was one of those who was invited into a house sometimes when Jesus was sitting and having dinner with sinners and tax collectors. And for the first time in her life, perhaps, in her adult life, she felt welcomed. She felt accepted. And she heard a message about grace, a message that didn't skirt around her sin, but owned it and gave her an opportunity to be free of it, a debt she could not pay that was released. And it changed her. Jesus said to her, so Jesus is still looking at her, and now in front of everyone, he says, just in case she didn't get it, he declares it in front of everyone, your sins are forgiven. And now who's the scandal? It was her, and now Jesus becomes the scandal. And all those around the table, all those clamoring to sort of get into the inner ring and the favor and and nice standing, they're starting to whisper among themselves and saying, who is this who even forgives sins? Because they know, who is it that forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Who is this guy? He's not claiming to be just a prophet. Who is it that's at this table of Simon? Because only God could say, you are forgiven And while they're all clamoring, Jesus is still eyes fixed on her. Lifting her chin is the way I picture it. You are forgiven. And he says, he speaks this blessing over her. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in shalom. Every relationship as it ought to be, you are restored in your relationship with God and with others. I don't know if you will fit in this circle at that room, but you are in with me is what Jesus is saying. And she goes out. Isn't that a beautiful scene? Yes? Yes. Okay. I was just, I was alone in this. Like, oh man, we got to go back through it again. I mean, we'll be here three hours if we need to get this right. It's a beautiful scene. I, When John asked if I would speak, I knew this was that, because this scene has been haunting me. Why is that? Because what clearly Jesus is holding up is this. What counts when it comes to devotion to God? What counts when it comes to devotion to God is love. Love is what counts. And so the question that I have just been sitting in for a long time now, the question I want to extend to you is, Do you love Jesus? 
do you love him? Because I imagine Simon, as this is unfolding and is sitting there in his mind, or maybe as he was replaying what happened, he's like, of course, of course I love God. I mean, look at all I do. I, I pray about his love every day. I, I am the most stringent. I always give. I dress properly. I pray. I speak blessings on other people. No one's made the sacrifices I've made. I have been the one who holds to God's truth over and over and over. I've done it. My life is, my whole life is tied up and busy in doing things for God. But the question was, where was the love? And that Jesus came into his room. There was, there was not even common decency for any person, much less for a rabbi, much less for a prophet, much less if this was Yahweh incarnate, God incarnate right at his table. We never hear what happens to Simon. Maybe he was one of them that led the charge in that just hardened his heart even more. And he led the charge in seeing the crucifixion go through later on. Or maybe after the resurrection, he was one of the Pharisees that came to faith. Maybe at some point he realized right there at my table in my house, this God I'd been praying to was right there and I did not honor him. But the truth and the reality is this, like Jesus will be at your table at lunch today. He will go home with you and reside with you for those of you who have placed your hope and faith in him. He will be with you as you talk with your neighbor. He will join you on the drive and the commute to work or as you drop off the kids at school. He is always with us. And the question here is, in your service for him, is it doing the right things? Is it truth? Is there so much we can do? And, and back in that day, so much they could busy themselves with, just like today. And there were so many who were so caught up and they missed it, that it, what counts is, do you love Jesus? Simon missed it. Often I miss it. Maybe sometimes you miss it. Why does this matter? Um, Jesus said this, it matters because it matters. That's what God desires. He wants our heart. He said, uh, quoting the prophet Isaiah, he said, these people honor me with their lips. They do a lot of talk and a lot of action, but their hearts are far from me. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. The love passage. This is what we see in weddings. It's an awesome passage talking about love. But before he gets there, he says this. If I speak in tongues of men, 13.1, and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I am just making noise. And if, if I have a prof, excuse me, prophetic powers, and I understand all the mysteries. I've got all this incredible knowledge. I've got the Bible memorized and all knowledge. And I have incredible faith, all faith, so as to even move mountains. But I have not love. I am nothing. 
If I give away all that I have, if I, if I am the most generous person, if I deliver my own body as a martyr up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. God wants our love. And she got it. And I want what she has. I, I've thought about this and I've thought, do I love Jesus? I do a lot for Jesus. I, I could look back on my life and I could, I got a resume. I could count what I've done. But I go, do I love him? And I've come to, yes, I do love. And I'm guessing that unless you're here still investigating the claims of Christ, that maybe when you check your heart that you... Most of us here are going to say, yes, I do genuinely love Jesus. The question is, though, as I look at it, I love Jesus, but, but not like her. I don't, but I want to. When you think about what she went through, and how did she have that kind of love? And that's kind of where I want to leave us here, is looking at, at just how do we begin to grow our love towards God? So I want to look, if you pull up the slide, I want to think of it kind of like a, a pyramid. There's a foundation, and, and there's really three big things that had to be going from this passage that had to be going on in her life. The first is this, um, that she really understood and believed how great her debt was. Right? When Jesus tells this story, he said, um, one had 500 for sure, like she was the 500 denarii debt person, and for sure, Simon was the 50. But the truth was, in the story, neither of them could pay it, right? Neither of them, I'm on the wrong passage. Let me get back. Neither of them could pay it. And a key aspect is just understanding how great and to realize there's no amount of good deeds. There's nothing I can do, right? She realized that. Um, Everybody in the room understood that. And yet, if we left it right there, it might be, okay, the object of this message is, I just got to beat myself up more, right? I should feel worse about myself. Thank you very much, Craig. When's John get back, right? Um, but that's not it. It's not just that she did that. She understood her debt that uh, Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 is a great passage to meditate on just through that whole chapter. But he says, we were dead. You were dead. I was dead in my trespasses. I was ruled by the enemy, by, by Satan himself and, and the desires of my flesh. That's where we were. And to understand, though, you could be the person who maybe, um, bless your heart, just grew up in a very, very broken situation. And, and right out of the womb, you came into that. Or maybe you're one of those, you know, you were homeschooled in a commune and y'all haven't had internet until last month, you know, and, and no one in your extended family has Netflix. Like, so you're probably going to be a 50 denarii and there's 500, but, but to come to this realization that if I'm dead before God, I have no way of paying that debt. She understood that for sure. She understood the last place she was welcome was in that home or in a synagogue or in the temple. But the next step was what amazes me about this woman. 
you trust in his forgiveness, that you don't just sit in the debt, but that you actually believe that if you, that Jesus Christ, who was the only righteous one in that room, died on the cross for your debt of sin and you trust it. You, you don't just believe it, but you trust it enough to say, wait, wait, this woman, get what she did. Like she trusted it enough to go, even though everyone in that room despises me, ever though no one in that room wants to be my neighbor, wants anything to, for me to even touch anything or touch anything I've touched, Jesus said, I'm forgiven. And if I'm forgiven, I'm clean. And if I'm clean, I'm welcome. And if I'm welcome, I'm in. And she stepped into the room knowing knowing what the looks were going to be like. And she comes around and she, she even touches the rabbi and she weeps over the rabbi and she lets her hair down and she, she, what if Jesus would have pulled away? You realize how risky that was? What if right there, Jesus steps away and says, what are you, what are you doing? But she knew he wouldn't. She believed. And I just come to this part, and I'm, I'm going, do I trust like that? I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, decades. And I want that. And then you do what Jesus said to do. You walk in that reality. He was an audience of one, and when she saw that he was being humbled and not honored, it broke her heart. And she's like, I will do whatever. I don't care the stairs. I don't care what to expect because I am going to honor him. And she did that. And, and then he sends her out to walk in shalom. Now live into that. So I just want to ask you, like, what would it look like if you walked in complete freedom this week? What if you, if you had the complete freedom for whatever inner circle that you're trying to get into or whichever circle you feel like you're in and you're trying to sort of be the, the guardian of it to see who comes in, comes out? What if you were just totally free of that because you knew you were accepted? What if you could walk and your love for God was the first and foremost thing? How different would we look at work, in the office, when certain things are said? What would I be bold enough to step into a conversation at the gym with my neighbors? I've had opportunities in all these areas recently. It, it makes me think of another scene from this week as um, Amber Geiger was getting her sentence and afterwards, and maybe you've heard about that, I'm sure many had, that's the younger brother of the victim, 18 years old, who walked over and embraced the one who murdered and took his brother's, his brother's life from her. He wasn't doing it for cameras. He wasn't doing it for show. In fact, he's taken a lot of heat for it. But he whispers in her ear as he hugs her, I forgive you. And now there's social commentary about whether that was right or good or, hey, hey, that's nice, nice. But people have nowhere to put that in the categories because they're saying, look, look, here's how the song goes and here's how you're supposed to dance to it. 
because the gospel makes no sense. But if you are forgiven a great debt, you are no longer trying to fit in with the circle. And all of a sudden, there is this thing called love that begins to overflow. Springs, how different would we look if this week we began to walk in that freedom? I want that. And I want to pray for us to do just that. Would you take a moment? I asked you to pray at the beginning. And just for a few seconds, if there's something the Lord's saying to you, I just want to give you a second to enter into it. Jesus, we just sang it earlier, how you love us so. Your word tells us we love and love is here because you first loved us, because you humbled yourself, you became the scandal for us, and you took our shame so our head could be lifted up, so we could be in, you came outside with us. So we could be clean, you became unclean. So we could walk in shalom, you entered into our chaos and brokenness. Father, I pray that we would live into it. I pray I would live into it. I thank you for this nameless woman who believed and trusted that what you said was true, and she began to live into that reality, and her heart was changed. Would we be a people of love? Hero Springs. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Because he loved us first. Amen. You are dismissed. You guys have a great week and walk in that reality.